Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of other causes of dementia found under the neurology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 62-year-old man presents to his primary care physician due to trouble with walking and difficulty with concentrating. The patient describes his walking as if he is stuck to the ground. On gait testing, the patient has magnetic gait, and on Montreal Cognitive Assessment Testing, he has a deficit in executive functioning. Laboratory tests are ordered and return normal. Lumbar puncture demonstrates a normal opening pressure, and magnetic resonance imaging of the head is obtained, which demonstrates ventriculomegaly. This is a case of normal pressure hydrocephalus. Let's continue with an introduction to other causes of dementia. Clinically, dementia describes a gradual and progressive decline in memory and other cognitive abilities, such as language and visual-spatial function. In terms of the etiology, dementia can be divided into primary dementia, which is usually associated with neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, and secondary dementia due to secondary causes such as hypothyroidism. In terms of the management, Given the large array of causes of dementia, it is important to focus on identifying and treating the reversible causes of dementia. Laboratory tests such as vitamin B12, thyroid function tests, and serum syphilis tests in endemic areas are important to obtain. MRI is ideally used, and tests are ordered in order to support one's clinical suspicion. Now let's discuss different types of dementia. Vascular dementia is defined as a heterogeneous syndrome leading to dementia secondary to cerebrovascular disease, which ranges from mild deficits in cognition to frank dementia. In terms of the epidemiology, this is the second most common cause of dementia after Alzheimer's disease. Risk factors include being elderly and multiple vascular risk factors, such as atherosclerosis, lipohyalinosis, and cerebral amyloid angiopathy. In terms of the pathogenesis, cerebrovascular lesions impair brain function, leading to vascular dementia. Moving on to the presentation. The clinical presentation is diverse and depends on where the damage is. Cortical features can include executive dysfunction and abulia or apathy in lesions affecting the medial frontal lobe, aphasia in lesions affecting the left parietal lobe, and visual-spatial difficulty with lesions affecting the right parietal lobe. Subcortical features may include focal motor signs, unsteadiness and unprovoked falls, mild memory deficit, and abnormal executive function. In terms of further imaging, MRI may demonstrate white matter lesions such as leukoriasis, which is a nonspecific finding, and there may be cortical and or subcortical infarcts. In terms of the diagnosis, certain criteria highlights clinical findings suggestive of vascular dementia, such as a stepwise deterioration of cognitive function. Remember that memory impairment is of late onset. There may also be hypertension, stroke history, focal neurologic symptoms, and fluctuating symptoms. With regards to treatment, remember to treat and prevent vascular risk factors, such as managing hypertension and diabetes. Pharmacologic therapy includes acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, such as donepazil, as well as NMDA receptor antagonists, such as memantine. 
Now let's discuss normal pressure hydrocephalus. This is defined as a pathologically enlarged ventricles in the setting of a normal opening pressure noted on lumbar puncture, and it is a potentially reversible cause of dementia. The pathogenesis is believed to be due to impaired cerebral spinal fluid absorption, which can be due to previous intraventricular hemorrhage, subarachnoid hemorrhage, previous acute or chronic meningitis, and Paget's disease involving the base of the skull, and this all results in fibrotic changes of the arachnoid granulations. Moving on to the presentation, the classic triad is dementia, gait disturbances, and urinary incontinence. In terms of the diagnosis, MRI or CT of the head will demonstrate ventriculomegaly, which is not completely attributable to cerebral atrophy. The lumbar puncture should show normal or mildly elevated CSF opening pressures, and treatment is with ventricular shunting. Now let's discuss dementia secondary to infection. HIV-associated neurocognitive disorder is defined as cognitive impairment secondary to HIV infection, and it cannot be explained by some other etiology. Risk factors include a lower CD4-positive cell count. In terms of the presentation, in HIV-associated dementia, patients typically have a CD4-positive cell count less than 200 cells per microliter. There will be dementia, impaired executive function, and subcortical dysfunction, such as impairments with attention and concentration, as well as depressive symptoms. Treatment is with antiretroviral therapy. And finally, dementia secondary to metabolic causes may include thiamine deficiency, such as in the case of Wernicke-Korsakoff encephalopathy, as well as vitamin B12 deficiency, hypothyroidism, or alcohol-related dementia. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to other causes of dementia, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 62-year-old man is brought to his primary care physician by his wife because she is concerned that he has become more confused over the past month. Specifically, he has been having difficulty finding words and recently started forgetting the names of their friends. She became particularly worried when he got lost in their neighborhood during a morning walk. Finally, he has had several episodes of incontinence and has tripped over objects because he does not lift his feet off the ground while walking. He has a history of hypertension and diabetes, but has otherwise been healthy. His family history is significant for many family members with early-onset dementia. Which of the following treatments would most likely be effective in this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Better control of diabetes and hypertension. Choice 2. Galantamine. Choice 3. Placement of shunt. Choice 4. Selegiline. Or choice 5. Tetrabenazine. The best answer to this question is choice 3. Placement of shunt. This patient with dementia, incontinence, and hypokinetic or magnetic gait most likely has normal pressure hydrocephalus which can be treated by placing a shunt in the cerebral ventricles. Normal pressure hydrocephalus presents with the classic triad of dementia, gait disturbances, and urinary incontinence. The gait disturbance is classically described as a magnetic gait where the feet remain stuck to the ground. It can be imagined in terms of a powerful magnet being forcefully pulled from a steel plate. 
Importantly, normal pressure hydrocephalus is a potentially reversible cause of dementia and can be diagnosed through observation of pathologically enlarged ventricles in the setting of a normal opening pressure noted on lumbar puncture. Placement of a shunt to drain extra fluid can often reverse the condition. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Better control of diabetes and hypertension is used in order to ameliorate the effects of vascular dementia. It would not be used in normal pressure hydrocephalus. Choice 2. Galantamine is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor that is used in the treatment of Alzheimer disease. It would not be used in normal pressure hydrocephalus. Choice 4. Selegiline is a monoamine oxidase type B inhibitor that is used in the treatment of Parkinson's disease. It would not be used in normal pressure hydrocephalus. Choice 5. Tetrabenazine increases the depletion of amines, such as dopamine, and can be used in the treatment of Huntington disease. It would not be used in normal pressure hydrocephalus. Finally, a bullet summary. Normal pressure hydrocephalus presents with dementia, magnetic gait, and urinary incontinence. That's all for this review about other causes of dementia. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.